morning. Boy, you came ready to worship this morning. I'm glad of that. I thought after last night, some of you might be dog tired. Speaking of last night, we had a great potluck and trunk or treat last night activity here at the church. And I don't mean to leave anybody out, but I just want to thank Mike. I want to thank Heather. I want to thank Steve and Debbie, uh, Woody and Crystal. And I don't don't mean to leave anybody out, but thank all of you for making last night possible. Yeah. And I also want to just give kudos to those dear folks that uh, allowed those whipped cream pies to get into their faces, up their nose, in their ears. It was everywhere. God bless you for doing that last night. But I think our kids and our, our adult kids had a good time last night. And I uh, just want to thank all of you for that. And then uh, I'll just say this in response to what Jeff shared this morning. I am a blessed man to be your pastor. There is no better group of people to pastor than you folks. And I have no better group of leaders to help lead this church than the leaders God has surrounded me with here. So I consider myself very blessed every day to be the pastor of the Oasis Church. 1 Samuel chapter 22, as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. 1 Samuel 22. The best way to get the most out of the stories of the Bible are to immerse ourselves and include ourselves in those stories. To think about what it would be like to literally be going through the same things that these folks are going through. I want us to think about that, especially this morning. Uh, David leaves chapter 21, escaping from Gath, the hometown of Goliath, the giant that he slew. And now he has come in chapter 22, we find out, to the cave of Adullam. This is going to be a safe place for David to hide from Saul, a, a place of refuge. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But to get the feeling of what this is like, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to think back, if you're older than in your 20s at this point, to some time in your 20s, okay? And... If you're a parent here this morning, put yourself in the position of David's parents this morning. And you get this phone call from your son who's in his 20s. So think about it from that 20-something perspective and also think about it from a parental perspective, okay? Son, how's it going? Well, mom and dad, could be better. Last couple weeks, I've had six attempts on my life. How would that make you feel as a parent, having your child call you up and say, yeah, this guy's been trying to murder me for the last couple weeks, but I've escaped all six times. And then, well, are you okay now? Well, I'm safe for the moment. Oh, did you find a place to live? Well, I would 
Not the nicest place. Where you at? I'm, I'm in a cave. That's where I'm living right now. I'm, I'm in a cave. I mean, can you imagine? You know, we as, we as parents, you know, we, we want the very, you know, best for our children and try to set them up really well and stuff. And here's David living in a cave. Not very furnished. A little on the dark side. But think about it. That, that's what God wants us to do. When we come to chapters like this, he wants us to put ourselves in the places of these people. Yes, we live in a much different age and time in history, but think about it even from a, a spiritual and an emotional and, and physical perspective of what they would have been dealing with and how they would have been feeling. So we find out here that David is in this cave. And it is a place that God is going to provide for him to be safe from Saul. And let's also remind ourselves that even though David is in the cave, a cave, God is there with him. You may feel like you're in a cave right now in your life. You may be going through a season right now where you feel like, I'm, I'm sort of feeling like I'm in a, a cave. Not literally, but figuratively. We all can feel like that at times in our life. Those cave experiences. Those dark experiences where we feel, you know, sort of claustrophobic and Things are closing in on us. And there's not a lot of light, if you will, around us. We can identify in that way with probably how David felt. But what we have to realize is God is always with us in our caves. In our cave experiences. God was always with his people, no matter what they were going through. Even if they were disobedient to him, he was faithful to them even if they weren't faithful to him. God was with Jonah in the belly of the fish. God was with Daniel when he walked into the lion's den. God was with Daniel's friends when they entered that furnace. God is always with you. Whether you feel like it or not, he never leaves us or forsakes us. And God is with you in your cave if you're in a cave right now. And if you're not in a cave experience right now, you probably will be at some point in the future. We need to be encouraged by that. There's also this dynamic taking place in David's life where David has received the blessing and favor of God because though he's not perfect, he is a man after God's own heart and God sees his heart and God knows that David truly loves him and wants to live for him and worship him. But then you've got this guy, Saul, who instead of celebrating that and being happy for the blessing and favor of God falling upon David, he becomes jealous and envious of David and tries to get rid of him. That's the way it is a lot of times in our life. You may have experienced that where God was blessing and favoring you and instead of somebody being happy about it, they actually were very negative towards you and, and sort of attacked you because of it. Instead of them 
rightfully looking at themselves and thinking, is there something maybe in my life that needs to be changed or corrected in order for me to receive the blessing and favor of God? They don't ever look at it that way, like, what, what can I change? What can I do different? No, they begin to attack the people whose blessing and favor God is upon. And that's what was happening here. That's the dynamic that's taking place. And so anybody and everybody that's associated with David is going to feel the wrath of Saul. So we see there also in the first few verses of 1 Samuel 22 that David's family no longer feels safe in Bethlehem from Saul. So they come to join him in the cave at Adullam. In a sense, David is going to now protect his mom and his dad and his family from Saul as well because anybody who's connected to David is also in danger. This chapter can be divided up very nicely into three scenes. The first five verses, we're going to focus on David and sort of the events surrounding the cave. In verses 6 through 19, we're going to revert back to Saul for a few moments, and then we're going to end the chapter in chapters, uh, verses 20 through 23, coming back to David. But we're still in those first five verses. And then notice what it says. All, and I, I'm using three Ds here, those who are under distress, those who are in debt, and those who are discontented are drawn to David in this cave. And we learn later on in that verse that it, it, it was 400 men that were drawn to David in this cave. That was a pretty large cave to house all of those people, right? What's going on here? Well, one of the things that's going on here is God is encouraging David, even in his cave, by drawing people to him, to support him, to help him. These 400 men are going to be known in David's life as his mighty men. They're sort of a combination of, of David's secret service, army rangers, navy seals. They're going to be his bodyguard, his protection from now through his reign as king of Israel, okay? And they begin to be drawn to him not when he's on the throne, but actually when he's still on the run for his life in a cave. Remember that. And notice who these people are. This is a ragtag bunch of misfits. This is a motley crew. These are people who have been misunderstood and, and mistreated. And guess what? David identifies with them. That's part of the connection. David understands what it's like to be mistreated and misunderstood, right? And so he can relate to these people who feel misunderstood and mistreated. And they're sort of drawn to each other. And this was probably not all of these 400 men would have been people that David would have chosen, but they are who God chose for him. And they're going to play a very important role throughout David's life and reign. But it starts in a cave. Think about that. In fact, then we learn also, not only are they gathered to him, but notice what else it says. And he, David, became their leader. That's important. David didn't start leading when he became the king of Israel, officially. 
David started to lead while he was in a cave running for his life. Because here's the principle. If you and I can't lead people in our cave experiences, we'll never be able to lead them outside of our cave experiences. We need to be leaders that can lead in all circumstances, not just optimal circumstances, but in all circumstances. That's the kind of leaders God wants to build for his kingdom. Because most of the time, it's not going to be optimal circumstances that we're leading people in and leading them through. It's going to be dealing with a lot of stuff. And if we can't lead people when we're in a cave, then we're not going to be able to lead them at all. You see, we've got to understand, too, that there are times where God is looking to us to be leaders in our cave experiences and in their cave experiences in life as well. Then David does this through the leading of God. He really wants to make sure that his family, his mom and dad and an extended family are protected. So he leaves the cave for a time and he goes down to Moab. Why Moab? Well, remember, David's great-grandmother Ruth was from Moab. So he has family and, and people who will be sympathetic towards him down in Moab. So he goes down to Moab. He asks the king of Moab, will you basically embrace my family and take care of them and protect them and watch over them while I'm in this cave and running for my life? And the king of Moab agrees to it. And then the Bible tells us that after David arranges for that and gets them down there safely, that David comes back and notice it says David is in his stronghold. That's another way of saying he's back in the cave of Adullam because the cave of Adullam became David's stronghold, his place of refuge, his fortress, if you will. You and I have to understand this. God is our stronghold. God is our place of refuge. Now, God may designate a physical place or a physical person or something else to be that for us at times, but ultimately we need to be looking to God to be our stronghold, our place of refuge, Amen. our safe place, our place where we feel secure, and that's what the cave was, and that's why it's called David's stronghold. We'll come back to that at the end of the message. And then notice who shows up. This prophet of God who had been trained and mentored by the great prophet Samuel. His name is Gad. And I want you to note throughout this chapter too, really neat, that you have a prophet showing up at the end, a or at the beginning, a priest showing up at the end, and who's sort of in the middle of it all? The future king. So you have prophet, priest, king. Gad comes to David and says, I have a message from God for you. You are not to stay here in the stronghold. You are to leave here. Go down to Judah to the forest of Hereth, which will be another hiding place for David where God is going to conceal him from Saul for a time. And notice what David does. He listens to God because he again is viewing Gad as simply being a spokesperson for God. God is speaking to me through him. 
and I'm going to this time listen. Notice what David is doing different in chapter 22 that he didn't do in chapter 21. In chapter 21, he wasn't praying about anything. He wasn't consulting God about anything. He was trying to figure this out all on his own. He was living by his own wit and wisdom, and he got himself in deep trouble. And this is trouble that's even going to come back and haunt him in this chapter. But David now is different. David isn't going to take a step without knowing what God wants him to do. He's consulting God here, which is so key. In fact, he tells the king of, uh, of Moab, when he goes down there, he says, I'm not going to do anything until I see how God is going to work this out for me, what he's going to do for me. So you can really see how David is really dialed in here, right, to God. That's a good thing. So that's the first scene we have, sort of setting up the chapter. But then we come to verse 6, and the scene shifts back to Saul, David's enemy, the arch enemy of David, who, by the way, is also David's father-in-law because David is married to Saul's daughter. And here's Saul. Where is he at? He's in Gibeah, we learn in verse 6. And he's sitting under a tamarisk tree, and he's in this elevated place. Because that's what Saul likes to do. He likes to elevate himself. And notice what Saul has, once again, in his hand. The spear. Because that spear, that's his security. Not his God. His God isn't his stronghold and security and safety. It's, it's what he surrounds himself with in a worldly, physical, human way. So that's why he's always got the spear in his hand. And then notice also verse 6, says, oh, and he's got his servants stationed all around him. That's what makes Saul feel secure, these earthly, worldly things. And listen, folks, again, I'm not against us locking our doors and, and, and doing, taking precautions, but ultimately, you and I will never feel totally safe and secure unless we are placing ourselves in our Father's hands. Unless our safety and security and stability is coming from Him, you see. Well, that wasn't Saul. And so you see the contrast here right now, again, between where Saul's at spiritually and where David is at. And then we begin to see the temperament and the mindset of Saul once again. First of all, he says there in those verses in verse 8, why are you all conspiring against me? Poor Saul, he thinks everybody's against him. That's the way he views life. It's me against the world. Everybody's out to get me. Saul is a very paranoid person at this point in his life because he's not a man of faith. And therefore, because he's not a man of faith or a woman of faith, he has become a man of fear. And then notice what he says. He says, why do you not all feel sorry for me? Saul is always feeling sorry for himself. And he's throwing a pity party, and, no, and nobody is coming to his pity party. Oh, woe is Saul. That's his mind at this point, right? And then he begins to basically go after his own servants who are still there. 
Has David paid you off? Has he bribed you? Are you going to turn against me? Why did nobody tell me about this? And then he cooks this whole thing up in his mind that, you know, because his dear son Jonathan has become really good friends with David, he thinks that the two of them are conspiring to ambush him and, you know, get rid of him. And he's the one that's on this murderous rant and, you know, to, to try to wipe out David, even through a spirit, his own son, Jonathan, to try to kill him. I mean, this is where Saul's at, right? But he's not seeing himself. He's always looking very paranoid at everyone else around him, that everybody's out to get him. Then we're introduced or reintroduced to a man we met a couple weeks ago in chapter 21. That guy whose name even sounds evil, right? Doeg the Edomite. And he is going to do something that is probably one of the most infamous things that's done in the Bible. He becomes an infamous character in the Bible, especially in this chapter. We were introduced to him in chapter 21 because remember, he was the guy that was one of Saul's servants that was detained before the Lord at the tabernacle in Nob when David went there to get provisions and blessings from the priest. So at this point in the story, that's where this comes back into play. Doag, as he hears Saul talking about this, he wants to get in good with the king even more than he has at this point. And he's like, well, King Saul, do I have a story to tell you? When I was up at the tabernacle in Nob, guess what I saw? I saw David show up there. And Ahimelech, the priest, and all these priests, man, they were, they were helping David. They were giving him provisions, and they were blessing him and, and mediating and inquiring of God on his behalf. And they even gave him the sword of Goliath. Well, you can imagine what that did to Saul. How dare, these are my priests. See, he, did, he didn't look at the priests as God's priests. He looked at all, everybody in his kingdom like they are to serve him, not serving God. And so he says, I want all the priests to come. I, I want them here. I, I, I need to call them to account for what they have done. I want to hear their side of the story. So the Bible tells us all the priests, they hear the, the news. They all come up from Nob to Gibeah, where Saul's at, and they place themselves before him. And Ahimelech and Saul begin to have this conversation. Ahimelech obviously is the representative of all the priests. And Saul says, why are you conspiring against me? And Ahimelech's like, what do you mean? Well, I heard through Doeg the Edomite what you did. You gave David and his men provisions and, and you gave him the sword of Goliath and you inquired of the Lord on his behalf. And Himelech's like, what's that got to do with anything? David's not after you. In fact, notice Ahimelech basically takes up again for David just like Jonathan did before Saul. He says, there is no one who's more supportive of you, Saul, in all your kingdom. No one who's more reliable, who's more dependable, who's more help, help, of a help to you. He's your own son-in-law, married to your own daughter, and he is honored in your house. 
That didn't sit well with Saul. In fact, Saul at this point says, you are all guilty and you are all dead men walking. I'm going to kill y'all for what you did. So he turns to his servants who were there and says, kill them. Kill all the priests. And I love this. His servants had enough respect and reverence for God at this point that they told King Saul, no, we're not doing that. We are not going to be a part of that. These men are the priests of God. And we're not about to lay our hands on the priests of God. They are God's anointed. But he turns to Doeg and says, you kill him. And guess what? That's exactly what Doeg the Edomite did. Doeg the Edomite, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 22, slaughtered 85 priests that day by the sword. And as if that wasn't enough, notice what else it says. This man goes back to Nob and murders innocent men, women, children. Notice it even says in the Bible, infants, babies, even all their animals. He literally goes through and slaughters the whole town. This is nothing but a massacre of innocent people. It is a horrific thing that is done. Again, one of the most infamous things that is done that's recorded in the Bible. All these innocent lives lost because one man has it out for another man. It shows how these things can just go way beyond what they could or should. Well, one priest survives the slaughter. We learn his name in verse 20. His name is Abiathar. And Abiathar escapes the slaughter and finds David and basically informs David about what's happened. And notice what David does. David says, I'm responsible for what happened to all these priests and all these people today. That is so refreshing. <laughs> In a world today where so few people take any responsibility for their actions and even maybe how their actions have caused something else to happen, here's a young man who says, you know what, I need to own this. Because he said, I knew that that day that Doeg the Edomite was there and saw what was happening, that that was going to come back. And because I went up there, I made the choice to go up there and in a sense bring the priests in to my deal, I wasn't realizing how anyone associated with me could be a death sentence for them. And I didn't consider all that my actions might, how that might all fall out. And so David, now some of us, we may look at that and go, David, that's not your fault. That's Saul's fault. That's Doeg's fault. That's their responsibility. But David, a man after God's own heart, has a really sensitive heart. And he says, no, I've got to own this. If I would have never went up to Ahimelech, to Nob, 
None of this would have ever happened to them. I think that's a good example for us. We like to remove responsibility. David was willing to accept it. And then I love what he says in verse 23 to Abiathar. And I want you to pay real close attention to the words of David to Abiathar. First of all, he says, stay with me or stick with me. Then he says, do not be afraid. Those who are out to kill me are, yes, certainly out to take your life as well. But then notice the last words David says to Abiathar. You are secure with me. Now, one of the things David is saying in the Hebrew there that we don't get in the English is this. He's saying to Abiathar, if you stick with me, Saul, who's after me, is also now after you. But in order to get to you, Abiathar, Saul's got to go through me. I love that. David is basically pledging to Abiathar protection at this point. By the way, Abiathar becomes David's priest for the rest of David's life and reign as king of Israel. God gives David a prophet in Gad and a priest in Abiathar that will serve David for the rest of his days. These two men become great gifts of God to David. Just as Jonathan, David's once-in-a-lifetime friend, was a gift from God to David, so was the prophet, and so was the priest. In fact, Abiathar, putting it in our terminology, sort of became David's pastor. Yes, even David had a pastor that spiritually looked out for him and sought to support him and encourage him. But here's what I want us to see about verse 23. I want you to view those words of David to Abiathar, and I want you now to look at those words as if they're coming from God to you. Because those words from David to Abiathar are the exact same words that God is speaking to us today as well. First of all, he's saying, stay with me, stick with me. What does Jesus say? Remain in me, abide in me, stay close to me, stay near to me, don't leave my side. I won't leave you, but don't you leave me. You stick with me through it all. I'll get you through as your God. Second of all, God is saying to all of us, not only stick with me or stay with me, he's saying to each of us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we talked about the fear of the Lord last week. And then those final words, you are secure with me. You're safe with God. You're settled with God. You're stable with him. Unlike anything or anyone else, God is our safe place. God is our cave of Adullam. God is our stronghold. 
When you and I center ourselves, as we sung about, in God, knowing that never once do we ever walk alone, that's where you and I can feel safe, secure, settled, and stable. You and I can do anything and everything the world tells us we can do to feel safe and secure outside of God, and we never will. That was Saul. Saul did everything humanly possible to make him feel safe and secure except the one thing that would make him feel safe and secure. Put his faith and trust in God. He never did that. And that's why he went around living the life that he did. So I want to end today's message by having you turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is going to be our verses that I want to encourage each of you, as we've done throughout our series on David, to memorize and meditate on. And they go along with the message from 1 Samuel 22 today. In fact, you'll notice in Psalm 18, like some of the Psalms, we read about sort of the context of when this Psalm was written by David. And it says, for the music director by the Lord's servant David, who sang to the Lord the words of this song, when the Lord rescued him from the power of all his enemies, including Saul. And these first two verses are the verses I would like you to memorize and meditate on this coming week. David says, I love you, Lord, my source of strength. The Lord is my high ridge my stronghold, my deliverer. My God is my rocky summit where I take shelter, my shield, the horn that saves me, and my refuge. Notice how David personalizes it. You and I need to do the same thing. He's not just a source of strength, a high ridge, a strong. No, he's my source of strength. He's my, I hope you can say that this morning. And the other thing I want to point out is this. Seven is the number of perfection or completeness in the Bible. And you'll notice in these first two verses that there are seven references to God as David's security and safety. My source of strength, one. My high ridge, two. My stronghold, three. My deliverer, four. My rocky summit, five. My shield, six. And my refuge, seven. In a sense, God is saying through David to all of us, I got you completely surrounded. I've got you from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. I've got you. And nothing can get to you unless it comes through me first. Hear the word of God today. Stick with me. Do not be afraid. You are secure with me. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me at this point and close this part of our service in prayer. You know, some of you may be in that cave today, but you know what? David didn't stay in that cave. David was able to get through with God and came to ascend the throne of Israel as the king. You may be going through a dark time right now where you don't see a lot of light. 
Know that God is working with you and for you even while you're in your cave. He may be drawing the right people to you. He may be doing things in and around your life that you haven't even sensed yet, but God is always at work and he always makes a way. Always. So, Father, we thank you today that you are with us, Lord, in our cave and outside of our cave. You're with us all the way through everything and, God, you've got us. May we hear you today, Lord, speaking over us as your people. Stay with me, you're saying to each of us. Do not be afraid. You are secure with me. God, may we worship a God who we know you are. Everything and anything we'll ever need, we can find in you. You, God are our stronghold that gets us through and makes a way. May we worship you today, God, as our way maker. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.